This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Well hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. Uh, My name is George Crowder and I'm one of the staff for Church Society. I'm the regional director for the north of England. This podcast is part of a series of perspectives on church leadership which we are broadcasting in the run-up to next year's Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference. Uh, The Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference, if you don't know about it, uh, it's a great conference. We we hope you could come. It has a strong foundation in Reformed theology and a generous spirit in listening and sharing ideas. And in the next conference, the subject is leadership, and we will be reflecting on some pertinent questions that arise from the Bible, from theology and from the world today. If you want to come, it's on Monday the 30th of January through to Wednesday the 1st of February and you can find more information and booking details on the Church Society website. Well, providing her perspective on church leadership in this podcast is Dr Kirsten Burkett, who taught me when I was at Oak Hill and who is now a colleague at Church Society. Uh, She is our theological consultant. Well, Kirsty, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you. First of all, I just want to hear a bit about you. Uh, you're, you're not from these parts, are you? You're Australian born. So tell us about your, uh, uh, your, your home life at the beginning and how you came to know Jesus. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, OK. Uh, yes, I can do that. Uh, uh, yes, I was, I was born in Sydney. Um, my parents were school teachers, so we moved around the state a fair bit. I mostly grew up in a town called Taree, which is on the coast about halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. Um, uh, yeah, so our, our family were culturally Anglican. I think we, we were all uh, christened, confirmed. Uh, the girls tended to go to church. Um, uh, I was a, a church server as a, a teenager, an altar server. Uh, it was very, um, uh, country Australia tends to be quite high church, well it certainly was then, and and fairly liberal. Um, and just just basically, I, I, I was just very, very uninformed. I had no idea what Christianity actually was. It wasn't until a teenager that I even knew anyone believed Jesus was real. I thought everyone who went to church accepted that it was a myth. Uh, so I, but I was, I was interested in God. I wanted to know God. Um, I just didn't think I could get to know him in church. And so I, I started looking into um, uh, New Age and, and Buddhism. Uh, I think they were the ones that appealed to me the most. Uh, and, and you can find a lot about... Uh, about people and about living, I think, through through Buddhism. And New Age certainly promised a lot in terms of spirituality. But what I found in that is that um, there was no no moral guidance in it. In, in, in particular, you know, I, I did everything they suggested. I did the meditating and astral travelling and that sort of thing, and I thought I'd met spiritual realities, but 
how did I know if they were good or if they intended me good? Um, and so when I was 20 and I actually came across the real gospel, it was astounding. I thought, well, this, this is the truth and I know that it's good because it distinguishes between good and evil. Hmm. It doesn't just naively expect everything spiritual to be therefore good. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so do you want the story of that? Yeah, please, please enlighten us. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was, I was in my second year of university. I, um, as I said, I've been exploring a lot of different spiritual ideas. And then uh, my sister announced that she had become a Christian, which mm. astonished the family because we were all Christians. Mm. We'd been christened. That made you Christian. <laughs> that's, that's just uh, the way it was. But I went to stay with her during my holidays, and she was uh, by then studying at a Bible college that uh, it was modelled on the breeze. So student, it was on a cotton farm, and students did work on the cotton farm, um, partly to, to pay for their tuition. And while I was there, she arranged for uh, one of the lecturers to talk to me um, and explain the gospel. And I didn't think much of it, but he gave me some things to read, including something on the historicity of the New Testament, uh, which thoroughly impressed me, and also C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And I think that um, understanding that... Uh, that Christianity gives an explanation of good and evil and where evil comes from and why there is suffering in the world. I mean, the, the, the problem of suffering had been um, a big one mm. in my mind. Why, why isn't the world perfect? Why do we suffer? And why do people have all these cliches like, um, uh, you know, life wasn't meant to be easy? Well, well why not? Why shouldn't life be easy? And so understanding that there is an answer to those questions, that the world is not the way it's meant to be, the world is fallen, and that God is doing something about that. It was so obviously true, and so obviously um, had that explanatory comprehensiveness and explanatory detail, which other philosophies I'd come across just didn't have. So um, I decided within the space of three days I wanted to become Christian. Uh, it's, uh, I, I didn't want to give up my autonomy. I didn't want to give up authority over my life to God. But um, I realized if I didn't, I'd be living a lie. Mm. And having worked so hard, well, having searched so long to find the truth, I didn't want to go uh, back to living a lie. So I became a Christian, and my sister was astonished that it, it all happened so quickly. Um, and traveled back. Uh, to university and and I had been told well now you're a Christian you need to find a church um, and that was when I discovered uh, campus Bible study at the University of New South Wales which I went to just based on a flyer mm -hmm. um, uh, which was in a, a lecture theater on the seat people say that no yep. one ever responds to flyers <laughs> or to posters but I did so I turned up to campus Bible study and there was a man down the front giving a lecture on uh, the end of Matthew. It was one of the final chapters of Matthew, and that was Philip Jensen. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yes, this is this is what I've been waiting for. Um, yeah, so I, I, I joined up with the 
the Christian group at the University of New South Wales starting, started going to the university church and was very well taught there, which, which is a great blessing of God that uh, not only that he converted me, but that he arranged for me to have such good teaching as a young Christian. Hmm. So what you were studying, uh, what were you studying at that time? I was doing a Bachelor of Science um, in uh, Maths and Physics, mainly. I'd started it off in Computer Science, didn't like that so much, so I switched over to more pure maths. More, and, and, and so that was the direction you go, but you're also starting to serve a church, and were you getting involved at church a bit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I volunteered for everything, and I, and I was snapped up for everything. Yeah. So within a year, I was, I was on beach mission, I was teaching at Sunday school, I was going to the, um, the ministry training courses that they ran on a Tuesday afternoon on campus, you know, Zimbabwe study group, um, oh, all sorts of things, yes, I, I immediately got involved in. And so towards the end of college, you, you were on this, you know, pure maths and physics and scientific trajectory, and you were also kind of getting involved in church. I, I guess you were sort of, what, what did you do next and how did you decide to do that? Uh, well, I wanted to go into ministry. Uh, in fact, I had wanted to right away when I was converted. It, I, I, that's what I thought conversion was. I thought that now I was converted, that meant I would be in full-time ministry. Mm. I, I hadn't at that point clicked that there existed such a thing as a Christian who was not in full-time ministry. Um, I was persuaded to finish my degree um, uh, by the, the staff at uh, Campus Bible Study. But I, I, I mean, my life trajectory was set at, at that point. I, I was going into ministry one way or another. Hmm. And what a lot of my friends were doing was joining up um, the sort of thing that would now be called a ministry apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, yeah, so, so several of my friends were doing that part-time and they had some other job part-time um, as a, you know, as a cleaner or a nanny or something that you could pick up part-time fairly easily. But I figured out if I, if I applied for a government scholarship for a PhD, mm. um, that would pay more than being a part-time <laughs> nanny. So... So I applied for that, and I got it. So I started doing a PhD. And what did you do? What was your PhD in? Was that more science? Uh, no, no. By then, um, yeah, part of becoming a Christian was also that, you know, I wasn't, um, uh, I, I was changing my life direction. And, you know, I had started with computer science because I wanted to earn money. Mm. Um, by the end of the degree, I realised that even the, the maths and physics part didn't interest me so much as the philosophy behind it. So mm. I'd done an extra bit of the course um, to to move into history and philosophy of science. And, and in Australia, to do an honours degree is four years. Um, so I did the the honours part of it, the fourth year in history and philosophy of science. Uh, and so I was able to start a PhD in history of science, which was. Uh, looking at why did people stop believing in magic, hmm. uh, which, which was a historical problem that was accepted as a problem at the time. I mean, obviously, people have always um, been superstitious and, and still are. Um, but there was a point in which magic was officially real. It was, you know, there were um, 
laws about magic and witchcraft that were part of the statutes of, mm. of um, official law. But then, after a while, they all got repealed, basically because people didn't believe that they were true anymore. So something, something that's not real can't be mm. illegal. Uh, and the question is, well, why did society stop accepting magic as a real thing? And um, I looked at, well, what effect did the Reformation have? Hmm. And I was arguing that that was certainly part of changing people's perspective on how the world worked, that you don't have words that said over matter actually change the structure of mm. matter. That's not how the world works. Mm. In Protestant theology, words are through communication, and it's the meaning of the words and the, the intelligence that they convey that makes word pow words powerful. It's not a kind of supernatural power or a magical power it can have over matter. Um, anyway, so that, that was the sort of thing I was arguing in the thesis, that the Reformation actually changed mm. not just doctrine, but the way people thought about the universe. Because most people would say the Enlightenment, wouldn't they? That, that must be, you know, there's the, the, a rationalist revolution, but like that, you, you say no, it was before then. Yeah, exactly. And that was the historical problem at the time, and uh, which was, which people talked about as a problem, uh, because it would make more sense to the uh, modernist mindset if it had been the Enlightenment. Mm. But it was happening before that, so, mm. so what else had happened? Hmm. So you did your PhD on that fascinating subject for a while. At the same time, you were serving uh, in church. Uh, what, what were you doing in church? What, what ministry were you doing? Uh, well, it was campus ministry. So um, the, the, the church was uh, a campus church that um, later on actually became a parish. Um, but at that time, it was just a campus church. And uh, so I, I was running Bible studies. I was um, teaching courses in how to do Bible studies, how to do evangelism. I was meeting one-to-one -one, uh, with students. Um, I was giving evangelistic talks. Mm. Uh, yeah, all those sorts of things. So, so full-on ministry. You were just in, in a ministry team doing ministry. I guess, uh, as well as doing a PhD. <laughs> so you, you kept yourself busy, I guess. Yes. Um, so uh, what, what happened after that? Uh, did you finish your PhD and, and what, 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 what did that launch you into? Which direction did you go in then? I did finish the PhD and at that point I... No, what exactly happened? So I, I got a job teaching part-time both at University of New South Wales and University of Sydney. So mm. I was switching between the campuses. It takes about an hour on public transport to travel from one to the other. So that was, um, yeah, that took up a fair amount of time. I'd also started studying at Moore College sort of unofficially and uh, taking up a more formal um, place in ministry, in the campus ministry. Um, which was unpaid, so I was supporting myself through the teaching. And I managed that for about six months before I completely collapsed with <laughs> burnout, um, which, was, which was very sad, uh, and it was all, yeah, quite a miserable time managing that. 
Uh, and at that point, Philip Jensen said to me, he'd had this idea in mind for a while that he wanted to start a journal that uh, basically critiqued non-Christian worldviews and showing that if you don't have Christ as Lord, at some point your worldview is going to break down. Mm -hmm. So he had had this in mind as a journal and he'd had me in mind as the person who wanted to run it. Mm. Um, and just thought, well, well, why doesn't he bring those plans forward to give me a job? <laughs> um, since, yeah, the, the working at two universities while studying at a third um, <laughs> A failed <laughs> experiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's when I started working for Matthias Media. Mm. And the journal uh, turned out to be uh, the journal Categoria. Mm. which I edited for about eight years. And it was, um, it was fascinating. So I was, I was trying to get Christian academics to critique their own disciplines, mm. which a lot of them found remarkably hard to do because, you know, you get socialised into a discipline and you accept that its way of doing things and its way of thinking about the world is the right way. Obviously mm. you do, because that's that becomes your life's work. <laughs> and I was saying, yeah, but you're a Christian. Think, think about what difference would it make if your discipline were overtly Christian? What would have to change, not just superficially, but what is it about the structures of thought that would be different? Um, and at the same time, answering a lot of questions that I'd had all the way through university myself as um, things come up you know, people ask me a question about I don't know or what happened with Galileo why wasn't the church persecuting him isn't that bad well, which turned out to be the, the very first article I published in category so all sorts of things like that things that I, I had wished I'd had time to think about while I was at university anyway now I did have time to think about them so that's what that journal was doing for eight years was um, as, as category, so, so apologia means a speech for the defence, categoria was the speech for the prosecution <laughs> and yeah so it was it was a, a journal that questioned the world um, yeah so that was fun and also while I was at Matthias Media um, I wrote a few books mm. and that's the first time I encountered of you reading those books the essence of oh, okay. things <laughs> Yeah, 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 the Essence series. So, so yeah, that was fun. Um, and I was there for, for 10 years at Matthias Media before, um, and, and Philip Jensen was the chairman of the board at that stage. But when he got the job as dean of the cathedral, that just changed up the management structure mm. of um, Matthias Media. And at that point, I moved over to work for uh, the Sydney Anglican uh, sort of publishing departments that in, in youth works. Hmm. So there I was editing Sunday school material um, and uh, involved in some of their book publishing. So some of John Dixon's books were going through uh, there at the time. 
Uh, but unfortunately, I, I hadn't long started there when they restructured and my job became redundant. Oh. Um, so I was left sitting in Sydney with, with no job and I had just bought a house oh. with, uh, uh, with some friends, which in a way made it more scary. So some Christian friends had very kindly been guarantors for my part of the loan. So I, mm. if I defaulted on payments, it wouldn't just be that I'd lost my house, they would lose their house as well. Oh. So had to get a job. And around at that time, David Peterson, who was principal <laughs> of Oak Hill College. Gave you a phone uh, call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and said, uh, you know, I, I hear you're looking for something. Um, I'm going to be in Australia in a few weeks' time. Why don't we get together and have a chat? And as a result of that, uh, I was invited over to England. They flew me over to have an interview, and uh, I got a job as a lecturer at Oak Hill College, hmm. which is the point at which I met you. Yeah. I think you were in, um, you were there that, that first year I was teaching. Yeah, I was in your first counselling class. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> I think you were, I mean, uh, very eloquently finding your way. <laughs> Oh, that's right. I just had no idea. I, I mean, I, there was nothing. I was starting it from scratch. I, I didn't inherit a structure or, or notes or, or anything. Or And there was, uh, every time I wanted something from the library, it had to be bought new because, um, mm. yeah, the, the materials I was looking to use weren't there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it was all, you guys were my, my guinea pigs that first year. <laughs> You seem to have turned out all right. Yeah, uh, not not too bad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so you stayed at Oak Hill, uh, you, and you you did counselling. You did some, teach some other things as well, didn't you? Um, did you teach yes. ethics? Yes. Oh. So, so I was actually employed to teach pastoral counselling and to help out with the youth and children's degree. Mm. So I. Uh, I did a little bit of teaching on youth and children's, mainly for that it was um, the the assessment structure then was that students had to be assessed giving a presentation or a talk in their placement churches. Mm. Um, so I was driving all over London visiting students in their placement churches, listening to them giving talks. Mm. Um, the second year I was at college, because it was discovered that uh, my PhD was actually in the Reformation, um, I started teaching some Reformation history as well, mm. um, and also apologetics with Mike Hovey. Mm. So, so he had a module called was Apologetics Commission. Yeah, so I started teaching that with him as well. And, you know, as, as that happens in a small college, uh, different opportunities arise and people are needed. So I ended up teaching ethics and philosophy that, um, and the, the, the sort of church history and doctrine uh, remained on and off for the, the rest of the time mm. I was at college. Okay, and so you're at college for a while, and then um, what happened after that? You moved, well, eventually you moved to church society, and you and you do quite a lot of writing at the moment as well. Is that is that the sort of story? Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. So, so I'm uh, I'm working for church society one day a week now, and I do freelance editing and um, uh, as much writing as I can, basically. <laughs> oh, you've been prolific again lately. I've read some lovely books <laughs> that you've written, and I've been recommending them. Uh, 
particularly the one on living without fear. I've been recommending that one a lot. Uh, good. Um, so that, that is a, it's a fantastic story. I don't think I've ever heard it all in one go. So that, that's it's lovely to hear that and, and all your different experiences in in different places and and uh, you know working and 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 ministering in church. Um, so you've uh, the, our subject is leadership. Uh, so a really open question. Really describe the sort of leadership uh, I guess styles, models, um, uh, patterns that that you ha- have encountered. Um, uh, sort of the good things first and then maybe we'll move on to some of the bad things that you've seen but yeah can you can you sort of take us through that perhaps in different phases of your life uh, the, 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 the leadership that you've experienced or, or being part of uh, shared in um, yeah could you uh, talk about that for a bit uh, okay yeah I guess I've seen quite a few different leadership styles over the years um, there is within evangelical, conservative evangelical circles, a, a, a strong model of leadership, of quite directive leadership, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, is not unbiblical. Actually, if you look at Hebrews, some of what it says about obeying your leaders, mm-hmm. it's very strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, leaders are meant to have a certain level of authority and exercise it because leaders of a church um are guiding our souls. Mm-hmm. You know, they do have the cure of souls. And it matters that they are teaching the truth, and it matters that we listen to them. Mm. So, yeah, there is a, a certain um, model of strong and directive leadership, which can be hugely beneficial and hugely powerful. It puts a lot of stress on the leader to watch their own godliness Mm. because human nature being what it is it's easy having been put into a position of authority to um, take on too much authority Uh, yeah so it's not the authority that's bad and it's not the directive style that's bad it's human sinfulness which Mm. fails to be christ-like in in how that's exercised I've seen other models of leadership which are much more collaborative, um, which depend much more on listening to what everyone has to say. Uh, uh, you know, and, and no, metal, no model of leadership can afford to be non-collaborative. I mean, uh, you, you always have to care about the people enough to care about what they're thinking and, and bring them on board with wherever you're leading them. Um, but some models do that more overtly than others. Um, so, you know, I, I've sat in meetings where every single person um, gets to, to give their point of view, in fact, has to give their point of view before a decision is made, which does have the advantage of everyone knows that they've been listened to and has had the opportunity to explain what they want to explain. It can take a heck of a long time <laughs> in a meeting. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, it swings and roundabouts on that style as well. Uh, Some, uh, you know, in in churches you get debates about should it be plural leadership? Um, Is is having a a minister in charge with a ministry team around him, is that the same as plural leadership? Um, I think the times when I've seen 
as happens sadly too often in Anglican churches, just the one minister on his own having to do everything, that is tough. That is really tough for the minister. Mm. Um, and it's, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's difficult not being able to share the authority in some way, I think. Mm. And, and where that is the case, I think, um, People, the, the people in the church can um, slack off a bit and not not pull their weight, not be doing their own ministry because there is just this one employed person and mm. he's expected to do everything. Mm. So I think that that model can have, uh, you know, drawbacks on both sides, both on the side of the leader and of the people he is leading. And if it's the model of the directive strong leader um, uh, who needs to watch their godliness it's 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 there's a, that's there's prob that's a problem area isn't it because the, 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 the you know you're increasingly isolated forced to be dictatorial forced to do everything and then under mm -hmm. that sort of stress uh, well we're Christian uh, Christians but we're sinful <laughs> uh, they're, they're, it's it's very exposed I think um, would you do, do you think yes. that yeah, yeah, I think that that can be a problem, and it's um, being in leadership, having to be the person who makes the decisions, is tough. That's a lot of responsibility, and it's a lot of stress. And if you you have to keep it all to yourself, that's a big burden for one person to take. You know, some people cope with it better than others, but I think in the end, it's just not healthy mm. for it just to be. The one man on his own. Mm. Uh, I mean, at the very least, you need to have someone else you can unburden to. Mm. Um, I mean, this is why counsellors have supervisors. It's it, you know, a counsellor, uh, whether they're a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever sort of counselling they're in, is meant to have someone to whom they can turn and say, look, I've got this difficult case, or what did you think about this, or this was a weird thing that happened. It's that being able to unburden and discuss things with someone else is mm. very important. Yeah. And I think the most effective leaders I've known are ones who make sure there is someone like that. Yeah. You know, no matter how senior they get to be, there is always someone else they can mm. turn to, uh, whether it's just a phone call or just some way of... Uh, being able to unburden and also knowing that there is that there is someone who will check up on them. Yeah, I think who, yeah, yeah. who will say to them, you know, uh, uh, how are your quiet times going? Mm. Um, things like that. Mm. Mm. I want to focus in a little bit more now. Uh, you've recently done some survey work uh, among women in ministry, uh, and I wondered if you could uh, reflect on that. A little, and some of the things that came out of that in in respect of leadership. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, this was a survey of uh, women who are employed in uh, Bishop of Maidstone churches, um, and so everyone um, who replied was working in a complementary ministry, and pretty much everyone was strongly complementarian themselves in their own convictions. Mm. So none of these women wanted to be vicars, you know, wanted to be the person overall in charge of the church. 
they were non, they were often in positions of leadership in in some one way or another. So over a children's ministry, over a women's ministry, um, or or even if it's not a a management position over other people, certainly being leaders in the sense of meeting and doing Bible studies with other women. Um, so yeah, leadership certainly involved. One of the things that um, a lot of women wanted to have more of was this kind of um, being able to meet with the boss to talk about the ministry, mm. to have feedback, mm. not just to be left on their own to go and do their own thing. Mm. Um, and that that seemed to be a pattern that emerged that um, men who valued women's ministry and wanted it to be done well, so would employ someone to do it, but then through whatever reason, through, I don't know, their own being busy or their own uh, not quite knowing how to oversee a female staff member or whatever it is, would just say to the woman, okay, you go do it. And she would be left on her own to go and do it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and a lot of the people, a lot of the women who were surveyed would say, no, I, I would like to have feedback. I would mm -hmm. like to, which is not just um, to get you know, the value of someone else's wisdom, but to, to have their ministry validated mm. and to be acknowledged, yes, this is an important part mm. of our church's ministry. It's important enough that I, as the vicar, will spend time with you talking about it. Um, yes, that, that was one issue that, that came up. Well, that's very interesting. I, I, I know Ros Clark has recently written um, about complementarism. By definition, it's not saying that Women's ministry is a, a luxury, an added extra. It's it's a necessity within the church. It's something that's needed. And going back yeah. to something that you said before, that actually collaboration is necessity. E even with the most the most directive minister, there need to be collaborative in some way because we we are simple and we don't see everything. Um, I, I, just something I've been thinking about in, in reflecting on that is is that the feedback needs to be two-way in that conversation in that the the great benefit of having a, a you know a woman in, in a ministry team alongside you is is her perspective on the ministry of the whole church uh I, I, and not and, and a great benefit to her is is the other minister's perspective as well but but yeah i i, I what do you think about that is that something that makes sense to you oh absolutely yes um, if you believe in complementarianism, if you believe that men and women are different in significant ways and have different roles, then you believe that they're both necessary mm. because there are things that a man in ministry cannot do because he's not a woman. So you have to have a woman's ministry yep. and it will benefit the church um, yeah, to have those perspectives taken seriously. So I mean, uh, which some, yeah. So is that some uh, men do really well? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure, and and there, I mean, there are good models out there. Perhaps you could point to some of those. Uh, but there is a there is still a need to change perspective, I guess, in this. It's in process of being changed, and some have embraced embraced a kind of change better. What can you talk about? What needs to change? You know when. When I was in Sydney, Philip Jensen, who 
you know, it's received so much criticism as being anti-woman, which is ridiculous. More women were sent to study um, at Moore College, fully funded from his church than any other church mm -hmm. in the diocese. And they would, would probably be in, in Australia. Um, you know, that was in the 80s I was there. And I still don't see that model being taken up yeah. by um, you know, churches around the place. You've got to take women's ministry seriously, part of which is sending women off to be trained in ministry. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and setting up the structures in your own church so that women's ministry is taken yeah. seriously by the whole church. Mm. I guess if it's a necessity, then we wouldn't do church ministry without a woman in a significant position where she's able to uh, kind of give that kind of uh, perspective to the, the ministry of the church, where she's able to influence the church's ministry. It shouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. It didn't seem to happen in the yeah. New Testament like that. <laughs> um, and perhaps we've let it happen. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and we all know the pressures that lead to that sort of thing happening because money always is tight. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's hard to raise money. And, and raising money also means convincing people that it's worth their while giving money. Uh, I think maybe that is something that British people don't do <laughs> enough of or <laughs> a bit too reticent about. Um, yeah, I would like to hear more sermons about money, about the fact that it's God's money, about generosity, and naming figures, not just leaving it vague, saying, well, you need to work out for yourself in your heart what you feel you could give. No, give some suggestions, which is not the same as presenting people with the bill, and, and it's not the same as, as putting guilt on someone, but actually giving a framework for people to think through. Mm. Yeah, it is that time of year, so that's a very timely comment. <laughs> That we're doing our sort of budgeting for next year and the the, the giving review. We, we, we all we, we don't really look forward to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a really helpful perspective. Um, how how can the training that ministers receive better prepare them, uh, men and women, I guess, for for church leadership? Do you think? Uh, it 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 cannot be cut shorter. I think is the first thing. <laughs> That there is so much pressure from all sides, from from the liberal church, from the conservative church, from Anglicans, from free church. Everyone wants to make training shorter. Mm. And we can't afford to do it because it's a tough job and there's a lot involved in it. You need to set people up well in their initial training and in their ongoing training. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird degree, a, a ministry degree. No, I mean, it doesn't have to be a degree. It, it could be in a... Um, whether it's credited or not is not the issue, but it is useful to have the sort of accountability structures that a degree accreditation gives. But whatever sort of course it is, it involves a lot of different things. It involves uh, the um, the theology, the, the humanities subjects of the theology of how to read a text, of knowing the languages to read the text, of um, uh, of uh, knowing the history and of why that history affects us in the way that it does. It involves learning uh, 
you know, what are pretty much management and business skills because you're going to be running an organization. Uh, it involves personal uh, uh, counseling and speaking to people's skills and listening to people's skills. So there are a lot of different things that in other careers, you'd just be doing one of those. Mm. But ministry is, um, is a wide ranging task. So yeah, it, it can't be shorter. Uh, and it, it certainly can't be done away with. Which comes back to funding it and putting it top, further up the, uh, further up the agenda for, for, for talking about uh, what we give to in mission uh, and in, you know, in, in how we share in partnership as churches. So that, I think that's something that's uh, struck me from talking to you. Uh, well, Kirsty, thank you for all of your uh, reflections and your wisdom and your experience that you shared today. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, and thank you for listening to the Church Society podcast. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.